first Thursday of the month already, which means we get to spend the next hour talking to Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder. No shortage of things to talk about, so let's dive right into it. Mayor, as always, thanks for taking the time. We do appreciate it. Well, thank you, Jim. Appreciate you having me on. Let's start with what happened with Ward 3. You made a nomination, Roy Williams Jr., to replace Doris Turner on the Springfield City Council, and the council shot you down. What the heck happened? Well, uh, a couple of items were raised. One was um, a couple of older people you know, said that precedence was set where the individual should commit to not running again. And actually, that was set with special elections. You know, the examples they used, and I'll just run through them real quick. Tim Griffin, when he stepped off, uh, he became council coordinator, and they already had a upcoming election, and it was in November. So, you know, um, that uh, year we were going to have a city election. People were filing for petitions, so that made sense. A few months you're going to have that. And then uh, when Alderwoman Desenso uh, was appointed, as when Corey Job originally he had said that he was going to wait till you wouldn't have to have a special election, but as you know, things change and he stepped off, so you would have to have a special election. So from that standpoint, it made sense because four months later you'd have an election, and you know, individual, um, you know, would have a leg up. I didn't agree with that uh, process, but the city council said they wouldn't approve anybody that um, you know wouldn't commit to that. Well, fast forward to this time around, there's no special election needed. And so, uh, you know, during the interview process, I selected the person I thought was best or is the best person to serve the residents of Ward 3, especially during this time of gun violence and dilapidated properties. Roy Wims, the president of Faith Coalition for the Common Good and the Neighborhood Association for Ernie Bankhead. And um, they brought that issue, particular issue up as a way not to vote for him. And, uh, you know, He'll create his own record. I don't think it gives him a leg up. And he had even said, he said, two years from now, I'm not sure what I'll be doing. But uh, at this point, I'm not going to commit. You know, I don't know if I'm going to run or not. Uh, what, but unfortunately, they decided not to support him from was, that process. The other ones didn't really say why they weren't supporting him. Was he just the, the innocent bystander in a council dispute with you? Or they just honked off at you because you didn't ask him if he was going to run again and you put him forward knowing how some of them feel about that issue? Uh, well, actually, uh, after I forwarded his the information to the council members, some of the council members, uh, you know, said, "Well, is he going to run again?" I said, "Well, I didn't ask him in the interview. I asked him afterwards, and um, you know, after I put his name forward, and he said, you know, just what he said to the council that he wasn't sure." So, I think that's good enough. I don't think that's a reason to withhold anybody's uh, confirmation. I think uh, I think there's more to it than that. Some people thought I should have appointed a woman since uh, Alderwoman Turner was coming off, so that came to the forefront as well. But again, I look at it uh, not if a Democrat or Republican. I look at who's the best person at, uh, to serve in that seat. And Roy Williams was, you know, he's been engaged for a long period of time, and uh, you know, he he made the most sense. Well, they uh, shot you down six to three, but you're going to put his name forward again in two weeks. Yeah, th- uh, that was for emergency passage. We were hoping to have the individual seated uh, for the next council meeting because you don't want a ward going unrepresented. And unfortunately, the council didn't see it that way, um, especially after the impassioned speech Sean Gregory gave. Uh, everybody says they want to help the east side out, but they didn't give them the voice and kind of the strangeness of this 
is the consent decree led to the process. Someone talked about the process. Well, the process came from the voting rights lawsuit. And the city code, by that process, says that the mayor will select the individual or make the nomination, and then the council uh, will be advisory and, and uh, you know, advice and consent of the council. So that's like a director. You bring them forward. They uh, interview them or, you know, ask questions, and if they deem them qualified to serve, they, you know, approve it, and if they don't, then they won't. And that's the same situation. You should do it based on his uh, qualities. Is he qualified to serve in that capacity, which he's well above that? then they should approve them. But in this situation, they de- decide not to. And uh, But hopefully in two weeks, you'll just need a simple majority, which would be six votes. Well, and uh, actually, I guess because there's only nine voting members, you just need five, correct? Cause you- uh, right, you need five. So they'll, uh, we'll have to have uh, two city council members affirm that night be the sixth vote. Where, where do you find those two out of the out of the six to flip their votes? Well, actually, I think they flipped the other night because when I talked to uh, Roy Wims, he thought he had more support than what was shown. And so I don't know what transpired at that short period of time. Uh, so we'll see. But some individuals that uh, he had contacted indicated that they'd be supportive of him, didn't see an issue, and uh, unfortunately it didn't pan out. And I think maybe hopefully it was just the uh, brevity uh, where they wanted just a you know a couple more weeks and hopefully they'll uh, do the right thing and approving. I saw an email today where Roy Williams is asking his supporters to call and write these uh, these six uh, aldermen and encourage them to support him. Uh, is that something you are aware of, and are you in, in support of that effort? Is that something that's likely to succeed, or could it backfire? Uh, no, that's not surprising. We get, uh, I got calls on it uh, in the same way, and uh, just not on this is- issue, other issues as well. Uh, so that's not out of the norm at all. And I think uh, a lot of times uh, council members, they will respond to individuals from their ward that to say, hey, this is important to us, even that, you know, since this does not impact maybe ward six or eight or whatever the case may be, um, you know, individuals that will call that live within their area saying, hey, this is important to us and we think you should take whatever action. I think they will be open to that. There is no policy there's no ordinance there's no mandate that whoever gets appointed to fill a city council vacancy has to say they're not going to run again in the next election does there need to be some policy for that at least in some situations or should it just be left up to voters to say okay well i think that person did a pretty good job whatever time they had there i'm going to support him or not support him yeah i'm a firm believer in the you know that the um, uh, you know the electorate will decide um you know, on the, on the interim election, the special election, I could see that. But on a situation where you wouldn't have a special election, I don't see it. You want the best person um, with regards to that. And it's my understanding that it's unconstitutional. unconstitutional. You can't tell somebody uh, that they cannot run. They still would be able to turn around and run. So it's kind of a mute point in a way. Does that mean we should get rid of term limits if we just leave it up to voters to decide? <laughs> Originally, I was against term limits because my father was mayor when they voted that in. And uh, but now I see the value of it, even though, you know, I've been impacted by it as treasurer and, you know, will be uh, potentially as mayor. But I'm a firm believer in it, especially at all levels of government. You see where individuals have been there for a long period of time. And sometimes it's better to have that uh, term limit in place to make sure that uh, individuals, you know, you always uh, everybody feels challenged and uh, know that their time is up at a certain point in time and you need to get things done. Why not let the voters decide if they've been in there too long? (laughs) 
Well, they uh, sometimes uh, what happens in incumbency, that's where it does come into play, where they've served a prolonged period of time and they can raise an insurmountable amount of money. Uh, and this is more on the, I would say, the state and the federal level. We see that play out in a greater detail. And it just uh, it's, uh, can come into play where it'd be hard to get rid of an entrenched person just because of the costliness of uh, running for election. Uh, Mayor Jim Langfeld is with us. Mayor, did you know that the FBI director was coming to town today? Uh, no, even it's well-kept secret. Even my police chief says, well, I have to go out to the FBI <laughs> <laughs> at some point. But uh, that was after the fact. But, uh, yeah, that's great, great that he took the time to come in. And being a capital city, you know, we were— uh, the law enforcement's been under a lot of duress this year. You know, the pandemic's impacted all of us, but especially with our men and women of the law enforcement. So we can't thank them enough for the job they've done, especially here in Springfield. I think everybody's done a fabulous job. And I think our community in general has been cooperative. And uh, that's one of the things we're trying to get additional help, of course, with gun violence, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Don't get but, ahead uh, of me because I want to talk about that. I want to talk mm-hmm. about the pandemic, but I want to talk about another group of folks who do a, a lot sure. of work for the community, and that's the fire department. Uh, mm-hmm. You put together a budget submitted to the council, but then when they voted and gave final approval to that budget, you p- said put you down as a yes vote to cut $1.4 million from that fire department budget. Why did you vote yes on trimming that much from a budget you put together and what's going to be the impact on the department? Well, uh, what I was, well, what I want to do is, of course, build uh, three fire stations, um, and the uh, you know either well definitely start this year, uh, within the next couple of years, do all three. Reason for that, people, you know, I've been asked that by the fire department and others, um, with regards to why are you building in a time where you know some aldermen think you should cut. Uh, really, what you what we need is better coverage. Uh, we can realign our uh, some of the fire stations, and we have to do one in particular that's been dis, kind of displaced because of the rail project. But in doing so, it gives us greater coverage in areas that currently um, don't have as uh, expedited that four-minute ratio of uh, response time that you hope for. So that's really the aspect. Why did I do it at that point in time? Is just to, to hopefully gain the individuals that voted against the cut. And again, you know, everybody's you know playing the blame game or playing the fear factor game of cuts, um, and I'll correlate it to one thing in a minute, but we're at the beginning of our uh, budget, so we've allocated $40 million to the fire department. The cut in itself was 3%, and uh, last year, at this point in time, we were heading into a pandemic where we just passed the budget, and people, you know, city council members were asking me to, you know, lay off people, furlough people, things of that nature. I said, I'm not going to do that. That's a last resort position that you take. What you do is see if there's a way to, uh, you know, prioritize and become more efficient as a organization. And I think that's how I viewed it is that's what the council was challenging us to do, to do that, uh, particularly with the fire department where other departments have done that. And so I think we owe it to ourselves to really put forward that effort to see if we can do that. And uh, just like last year, I think we'll be able to do it without uh, any layoffs or furloughs, just like we did. And we were able to tighten the belt and uh, become more efficient in the process. But the chief says $38 million of his $41 million budget is personnel. Uh, you can't cut half of your budget for fuel and equipment and, and everything else the department needs to operate. So how do you trim that much money from that budget without cutting into those personnel line items? Well, we did have a meeting with, uh, you know, Chief Blau and uh, Deputy Chief and uh, union leadership, uh, President Zumo of the uh, local, 
as well as some others uh, within the leadership, and then myself, Director McCarty, and Corporation Council. Um, and we threw out some of those ideas. It was an impassioned uh, discussion, without a doubt, but there's uh, steps we can take a look at. I think they can learn a, a lot from what Police Chief Kenny Winslow's done through the police department. Um, and but, just, but his uh, head counts down, right? Isn't his head? Oh count yeah, his down? head counts down. So it, it, so it was are... down through attrition. And do they need more police on the uh, police officers uh, in this day and age? Uh, yes. Uh, the unfortunate thing with the pandemic is it's uh, the training classes have been canceled or downsized, so you can't get as many officers through the classes as you would like. Uh, but that's uh, one of the challenges we have. So what what did Chief Winslow did? Uh, he moved where uh, officers are going to 12-hour shifts. Uh, some officers really like that aspect. It gives them uh, some weekends off where they normally wouldn't have it. But what it has done is it trimmed their overtime costs immensely. And, uh, you know, he's he's done some other things just operationally that helped cut back costs. And I think it's just a matter of uh, going back to our meeting. Uh, you know, we threw out some ideas, and I think it uh, hopefully opens the eyes. And the bottom line is, with this, it doesn't matter if it's business or if it's government or our own individual lives. What everybody's doing post-pandemic will be totally different pre-pandemic. So what I mean by that is uh, we're delivering services to the public. Well, I challenged the fire department. I said, the fire department of tomorrow, you know, just not this year or next year, for the next 10 years, what's that look like? It is definitely different from the structure we've we currently have in place, you know, like from the 1950s. So what's that look like? We need to challenge ourselves to come out of this and uh, reprioritize our resources as much as possible. And then come if we need to come back to the council, we'll come back to them. But at least let's show the effort of what we did. How did we change things to gear ourselves to, uh, you know, fire safety post-pandemic? And, and the chief's thought on all this, I mean, I know I can go and, and talk to the chief directly on this, too, but here's the thing. It's a manpower-intensive business. If somebody's house is burning down, if somebody's having a heart attack, you, you can't really uh, do an efficiency study on that. You've got to have people there to respond to that. Yeah, well, that's true. And uh, people talk about minimum manning, 49, uh, minimum manning on a daily basis, which uh, we have in place. But right now, we're class one, but we can uh, relocate stations to put us in a better position. And that's a different pool of funds, but that's one example of how you can make things better with the same resources you have in place now. The other thing is you have eight inspectors. Well, eight inspectors go out during a pandemic and inspect our you know, restaurants and bars that are struggling, and they shut down the tents instead of uh, offering a solution, a viable solution. Uh, but you know, we were able to work through that, and that's when Chief Blau really showed his leadership, and he found a remedy right away and went out there and personally delivered the necessary uh, uh, tools that they needed to become compliant. That's what we're talking about. What's that look like? You know, but there's far more than just the firefighters on the streets that uh, now that are responding more to EMS calls than they ever thought they would, and then as well as fire. So uh, that's what we're trying to figure out is how do we retool, reprioritize, and reshape how we provide fire services so everybody gets and continues to uh, get the services they deserve and move in that direction post-pandemic for the next 10 years. We've got an awful lot to talk about. Uh, Mayor, one quick uh, extra question on the budget. Um, Alderwoman Erin Conley has proposed an ordinance uh, that would require the city to offer four weeks of paid maternity or paternity leave for city employees when uh, when they welcome a, a child. Uh, your thoughts on that as you're talking about uh, the, the need to, uh, to belt tighten, uh, is that a, a good policy and one the city can afford? I think it's uh, 
can be a good policy. I think it's something that um, should have been uh, probably discussed uh, through the unions. I think that's where the concept originally came from. And, uh, you know, there's uh, items within the contract dealing with time off. And actually, Fire Chief Brandon Blau spoke after the amendment passed that said, you know, right now, uh, currently firefighters do take off during that time frame that uh, creates overtime issues. And then uh, so this is almost a doubling up effect. So I thought it'd been good to uh, go through that process through uh, union negotiations and see what time had been allocated for that type of uh, situation. Um, and the other thing, personally, I just feel that maternity leave is, you know, greater significance than paternity. So I don't know if it made sense to have a differential, you know, with uh, time off more to the mother, less to the father. And I came, you know, from the private sector where, you know, we just uh, had a few days off. But I know the importance of uh, having more time as a father, that connection early on makes sense. But uh, with regards to mothers and their child, it's a different uh, relationship altogether where they would definitely would um, need more time. Let's uh, move on to some other topics here this afternoon because a lot of ground to cover. You talked about the fact we have seen an uptick in shootings. We uh, had a, a homicide at sort of an impromptu party inside a, a former business at 11th and South Grand. Every day it seems like we're hearing more reports of shots fired, incidents, people being shot. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on out there. Uh, what is happening and what is the police department going to be doing to try to get this uh, more under control? Well, uh, we will have an announcement uh, tomorrow. Um, main gist of it is uh, some of the things we're looking at, but also, you know, it really goes back to uh, getting community support, making sure we can get people off the streets as quickly as possible that are doing this in our community. Uh, with regards to the shots being fired, um, that is an escalation, and a lot of that, uh, the recording of it, is due to our shot spotter technology. Uh, uh, Chief Winslow had told us that, you know, we'll be, you know, have a dramatic increase of shots being reported just from that new technology, similar to what Peoria experienced. But anytime you have uh, people, you know, driving around and having essentially gun battles, and I don't care what street it's on, it's uh, totally unacceptable. It's a scary time for anybody that has to, or traumatic time that uh, they experience it. And um, the situation on 11th and South Grand, of course, was uh, Decatur individuals coming over here and creating havoc at a, you know, kind of like a pop-up party situation. And so we're taking care of it uh, on different fronts uh, with regards to property owner and trying to find these individuals that were involved with it. But again, uh, you know, people there at the party knows what, what are happening. How can they come forward and provide crucial information needed to the police department? The other thing that uh, during the pandemic, and this is just not Springfield, this is across the country, uh, shootings are up. Um, and the large part of it is with our justice system and not being able to, um, you know, retain people in jail um, and hold them uh, due to the pandemic or some other means. And so that is a cause for concern to make sure that when you uh, do have a witness coming forward, testifying against somebody, you lock them up for weapons charge. You don't want them back on the street in a week or so uh, back where they can create harm to the individual that turned them in. And I think that's always been a concern 
pre-pandemic, and individuals that have experienced that have told me that personally. Well, uh, I want to continue on with this, but since you raised the issue, we have legislation just signed into law by Governor J.B. Pritzker that's going to eliminate cash bail for many offenses in the next couple of years. Uh, And I know a lot of law enforcement organizations are against that. Are you opposed to that uh, new law as well? And will you be trying to get some changes made to it? Well, I'm definitely against cash, uh, no cash bail for uh, gun violations. So I haven't, uh, I'll rely on Chief Winslow. He's provided great leadership. Uh, He's been over the state house and he's educated people on the federal, state, and local level on engagement and uh, what, um, you know, how to stay above and looking out and better serve the public. And he understands community engagement and, um, you know, police reform. And there's some things in the bill that he's in agreement with, some things that he's not. And so I'll rely upon his expertise with regards to that. But, again, the gun violence, we're seeing it play out here in the streets of Springfield. We need to do whatever we can to eliminate that from happening. And, uh, you know, zero cash bail on those type of situations definitely uh, not tolerable. I, I know you're going to have an announcement, but can you give us some insight as to what exactly police can do in, in this situation when there's so little regard out there for uh, for uh, pointing a gun at, at somebody else and, and pulling the trigger when you've got gang activity possibly here or coming in from outside? What what options are available? Yeah, we definitely have a uh, gang activity locally, and that's been going on pre-pandemic, and so we were making a you know. Um, you know, corrections to that. We did have a, what we called a focused deterrence program where we would call in individuals that were identified as potential shooters based on their behavior, Um, you know, whether they're involved in, well, usually criminal activities, and you try to call them in, and then you have individuals that speak to them on a one-on-one basis and hopefully turning their lives around. And the most compelling um, you know, testimony or uh, people that participated were individuals that were in the jail for gun violations and how it, you know, ruined their lives, essentially, uh, trying to get them on the right path of life. Unfortunately, with the pandemic that, and you, you know, cannot gather uh, socially, that's kind of put that on a back burner. And we I think that would have definitely helped in this situation. The other uh, situation that uh, not having students in school, we're seeing seeing younger people involved with uh, the street activity, which is very concerning. And so that's always a challenge. Anytime you have individuals, especially young people, that um, you know uh, don't have a lot to do, possibly uh, where they're on the streets more often than what they should, uh, it can lead to um, dangerous situations where we don't have what we don't want them involved with. So it's important that we get uh, people in their structured activities as much as possible, especially our young people. We reported earlier this week that the federal ATF uh, assigned someone to work with Springfield police to try to figure out where all the illegal guns on the the streets of the city are coming from. Can you give us any update on that effort? Uh, We've seen today there was another uh, weapons arrest. We know there have been a couple more earlier in the week. Is that part of this effort? Are we starting to make some headway in in getting control of that free flow of guns on the streets? Well, I'd uh, probably leave that up to the chief to um, give any insight into that. I know that is a great concern with regards to the amount of weaponry out there. Um, you know, it's everywhere from assault weapons on down, especially in this day and age where, you know, there seems to be an uptick in sales of weapons and uh, uh, ammunition, things of that nature. So uh, that's, a, like I said, of great concern. And uh, that's a very challenging situation. And that's why. Uh, the chief has reached out to the ATF, and that's what we appreciate 
the federal government's help on that uh, particular initiative, as well as the state level, as well as the local. Everybody working together uh, towards this an important issue to keep our community safe. Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder here with us. Uh, Mayor, let's turn our attention now to the pandemic. We know that some states are starting to throw things wide open, 100% capacity, uh, taking off the mask mandates. And I know you've been itching to get things more widely reopened here. What are you looking at, and, and can we expect any changes in city policy as it pertains to the pandemic? Well, I think... Uh, during this whole pandemic, the one thing's for certain is uh, with every action, there's a reaction. And so just to wide open things and no mask, it's just ripping everything off. And I think that's a grave mistake. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I think, you know, for Texas, for instance, my personal opinion, I think it's a diversionary tactic. You know, they just went through a catastrophe disaster with regards to the uh, winter storm that hit. And I think it's a way to, hey, let's, you know, divert the attention. We'll open things up. And, you know, the vaccinations aren't to the level they need to be. The infection rate is, you know, escalating. And now's not the time. If you're going to open things up, at least do it responsibly with the mask in place. And people have asked me, when are you going to lift the mask ordinance? Well, we'll wait till things open up, and then we'll see what happens. So the most recent thing we would like to see is the hotel, motel industry, and events being able to increase their um, their capacity. Um, I was at a basketball game given a proclamation recently with SHG in um, oh, Southeast, and uh, they only could have 50 people in the stands where they could accommodate more and still be socially distant. That's one example. But the other one with hotel motels, uh, they're being devastated. They haven't received the federal relief that they probably deserve, and uh, they're on the brink, a lot of them, and allowing 100 uh, people or 150 people in meeting space where you could keep socially distanced, wear your mask or what, take those precautionary CDC measures and still keep everybody safe. That would tremendously help their bottom line and uh, keep people employed and moving or working our way through the pandemic as best as possible. So so how big a crowd would you allow at, at indoor events or gatherings, ballrooms, auditoriums, whatever it might be? Right. You'd have to look at the space. It'd have to be uh, just like... Uh, you know, what's done now is, you know, six feet between tables. Uh, and, you know, here locally in the bars, you're not supposed to, in Springfield anyway, uh, we have it where you cannot be up in common areas. You should be at a seat or a table. If you're up moving around, you need to be wearing your mask, but, you know, no dancing, things of that nature. And I think that's the approach you have to have until you get to the point where we have the herd immunity or, you know, um, the numbers are, you know, where they remain as they are. But what the next step would be, increasing the capacity maybe to 100 or 150 or you set that higher parameter and then you measure for about three weeks, four weeks and see what happens. And then maybe a month later, you increase it and gradually work your way through it uh, for the summer months. But you would keep the mask mandate in place for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I see it uh, actually at least uh, through the end of April, I would think. Uh, originally, I thought, well, maybe at the end of March we can see, but at this point in time, I see it uh, being in place probably till May 1st until these restrictions are starting to uh, lighten up where we have uh, greater uh, socialization within our community and we see what the uh, transition is with regards to the virus. Is anybody enforcing the city's mask ordinance? I know there were a couple of citations written very early on, but I haven't heard of anything since then, and I know not everybody's actually complying with it. Yeah, actually, uh, it's uh, largely complaint-driven. Uh, you know, I have people that call me if they're out shopping or whatever, and I'll relay that to the chief, and they'll have someone go in and 
take a look. But for the most part, when I'm out, uh, uh, you know, once in a while, you like today I went out to lunch and I looked and people weren't wearing their masks as they're walking around outside, uh, not with others. But when you're in and going out of uh, uh, the restaurant, people are wearing their masks, which is encouraging. And so from that standpoint, it is uh, complaint driven for the most part, but they we do have still have the enforcement uh, in place with regards to businesses that aren't complying or trying to comply, and then uh, individuals that uh, refuse to comply as long as, you know, if they're caught on the spot with an officer, they have the discretion whether or not to give them that ticket. Just a few minutes left here with Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder. Mayor, this time one year ago, we still didn't really know what was about to uh, come down on us like a ton of bricks, and now we are starting to see some light uh, at the uh, the end of the tunnel here. Um, but obviously not everything's back to normal yet. Last time we talked, you indicated that uh, the St. Patrick's Day Parade was not going to happen as it normally would. Uh, are there any updates as far as when we might get to come together and have that uh, celebration that was delayed from last year and now delayed again this year? Yeah, they are uh, rescheduling that. I'm not sure the exact date, but of course it's not going to be on St. Patrick's or the Saturday before as it traditionally is. But the organizers are looking at having that later in the year. Uh, and as far as St. Patrick's Day celebrations, again, uh, right around this time last year, you took a little heat that weekend when everything started to uh, fall apart and they were telling people, you know, best to kind of stay uh, away from crowds and start to take this seriously. But not everything had been shut down yet. And you actually went out and, uh, and celebrated a little bit that weekend before the, the shutdown started. So what are your plans for St. Patrick's Day this year? Well, that's a good question. We were discussing that at lunch. We were reminiscing, I guess, what had transpired and how far we've come. Uh, one of the reasons I did go out, I just think it was important to show support to the uh, business community. And, um, you know, at that time we were first coming into social distancing and not shaking hands, and then we've come a long way with the mask. Uh, for this year, uh, that's still uh, debatable. I know I've been asked to shut things down in the streets. That's not going to happen. Uh, but to what level do you uh, allow people to celebrate uh, that's something I'm still going to have to uh, confer with others to uh, see what approach that would take. Uh, well, you see, you say you're not going to shut things down. So, uh, like, you know, people being able to basically take their drinks outside and just sort of congregate on the street. Is there going to be any rules or asking people to wear masks when they're in these crowds? Or Oh, yeah. yeah that, that's still in place. Uh, the capacity limits still in place. That's the, You hit the nail on the head. Uh, do you allow people to walk around with the drinks? I'm not so sure we're going to do that, but that's something I'm going to have to uh, confer with others to make that determination. Uh, and how closely can you police it? St. Patrick's Day is a, a pretty big bacchanal around here, uh, and uh, people do tend to throw caution to the wind a little bit. Uh, are you going to be pretty strict on enforcing those uh, capacity limits and trying to keep people distance, keeping them seated at their table instead of mingling in bars? Seems like a tall order. Uh, that will probably be a tall order, as you know. Uh, once people uh, start uh, partaking a little more, on the beverage side of things, it, it, people do tend to um, become more freer socially. So uh, that's something that that's why we have to be cautious in how we approach it and to what degree. Because uh, guarantee you, whatever, wherever you move that level, that bar, uh, people will try to push it a little bit farther ahead. So that's why uh, we really need to take a hard look at it and see what we want to do. Um, but you know, again, I think people have been pretty responsible for the most part. And we want to make sure that we don't impede 
uh, you know, individuals that can do things responsibly. Mayor, only have 30 seconds left. Have you gotten your vaccine yet, even the first dose? Uh, no, not yet. I haven't. I'm, I think I'm in the 1C. Well, people say, oh, you're essential. I said, well, I don't want to go in there. And people argue whether I'm essential or not. It probably <laughs> depends on the uh, situation. But, uh, you know, I've been at work uh, most every day uh, during the pandemic. I thought it was always important to you know, show that confidence that we are working our way through it. That's what I'll continue to do, uh, socially distant as much as possible and wear the mask and uh, be a good example of that type of uh, behavior as we move forward. But eventually I will get my shot when that time comes. Mayor, we're out of time. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon.